Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Thank you for having me. And I have to say, that's probably the best uh, introduction I've ever had with that 15-second intro that I've ever <laughs> seen on any podcast I've taken care of. That was That's brilliant. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a ride, I can tell. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, do you only deal with, I mean, I mean, what's your demographic in the financial advising space? Is it strictly in the UK? Is it other countries? I mean, what does that look like? So it's strictly in the UK. Um, okay. We've only got a license to practice with uh, people who are on, as they call it, UK soil. So you okay. need to actually be resident here in the UK. And I think with financial planning, it's already complicated enough with yeah. different tax laws from different countries. To stay on top of the tax laws in this country is hard enough, let alone trying to know all the ins and outs. And there's plenty of other qualified advisors in other countries anyway that would do a far better job than I can. Um, but I, I'm, I'm the expert in the UK, shall I say. So that's that's my demographic and my market. In terms of the sort of age groups, is all sorts. We help people buy their first home uh, to help people retire and then everything in between and everything at the end as well, really. So it's it's a fair, a fair mix of things. But I really enjoy the job that I do because I get to go and see and talk to lots of people and they share what they're thinking, how they're feeling. And obviously money is often for a lot of people very private as well. So I feel very privileged that they're happy to open up to our firm and and we help them get on on the straight and narrow and get them on their way, but getting on their way with confidence and understanding hopefully a little bit more than what they did before they met us. How many of your clients have like, where they purchase real estate um, in other countries? I mean, because it almost feel like us living or me living in, in California and buying property in I mean, Michigan or Arizona where basically better rental incomes. Does that happen a lot? And how do you kind of work through that? There's not much to be fair. We have got some people that have got uh, second properties, holiday homes, maybe uh, maybe in Europe. So in France for ski chalets, we've had people doing that. We've got people that have bought apartments. We've got other people that have got holiday homes here in the UK. Um, and occasionally we get clients that emigrate. So we had somebody that emigrated to Canada, uh, to Vancouver, we get that a little bit, so you get that transient. But it's not often, actually. Most people, I would say, that we look after, probably a bit boring, but all stay here. Um, there's not much uh, movement. And also, you know, the size of us in the UK compared to the US. Um, so a lot of places that you have to go to, you've either got to get on a boat through a tunnel or on a plane. Uh, whereas I know that you can drive, maybe a long drive, but you can drive quite easily between states where you are. Yeah. Um, and also bear in mind that UK has uh, left the European Union with the Brexit thing that happened, which has been a whole heap of fun. Um, we now feel like a bit like an island. So probably not a lot of our European partners actually want us anymore either. So uh, we've probably annoyed them. <laughs> so that's another reason. <laughs> well, let, let's rewind a little bit. I mean, who was a, a, a young David growing up? Did he always have plans to be in this space, to be in coaching? I mean, what was his aspirations? Well, my parents were both teachers, so maybe there is a little bit of a thread in that involved. But when I, I, I was at school, I wasn't particularly great at school, being truthful. I didn't always see the point of school. I was always trying to do the next thing. And I, I, I know I was super keen on earning money at a very young age. So 
you know, when you're younger, the first thing is you want to buy your first hi-fi or whatever it might be, or your first television. And then when you get older, it's like, I want to buy my first car. And to do that, I, I remember at one point I had uh, a newspaper round during the week. I worked in a kitchen at one uh, part of the day for an early morning of a weekend and then went straight from that job to go and work in an electrical store at the same time. So I kind of had three jobs on the go, all of which earning money because I wanted to buy my first car. So I was always motivated, I guess, by by the money um, as having the end goal. But I didn't, didn't go to university or further education or anything. But I knew that I got a kick out of running my own business or making my own money myself. And my grandfather was quite entrepreneurial. And he started me off probably on this road by, he used to work for a car dealership. And he used to get these part exchange cars used to come in. And he'd say to me, David, if I buy them, will you do it up and flip them? Oh. So I started flipping cars and it was strictly business. So there was no, because he's my grandfather, oh, don't worry, I'll let you off the money. It was, right, I paid $700 for this car. You've spent $50 on doing it up and you sold it for $1,000. We will split the profit. And it was strictly business, but I quite enjoyed that. And it got me a taste for actually thinking, you know, if I want to do my own thing, I've got to do my own thing. And that's kind of where it started. Now, I was employed to start off with, and I think all of us probably go through that at some point. But it made me just realize, no, I've got to do it my way because I wasn't necessarily that happy with the way in which the, the businesses have been done. If you're not happy, either leave or you do it yourself. And I chose the latter. So I decided to set up on my own. What? How old were you when you went on your own? Uh, right. It was in 1994. And uh, here's an interesting story. At the time, I was I was getting married um, at the time. I handed my notice in to my employed job that I had at the bank, the supposedly secure job at the bank. And I got I handed my notice in on the Friday. I got married on the Saturday and worked my notice while I was on honeymoon. So I never went back. Oh, wow. and I feeling of dread while I was on my honeymoon going, well, this is supposed to be like the best time ever. And actually I'm panicking because I've effectively felt like I walked up a cliff, mm -hmm. you know, gone is all the secure income, the regular wage being paid at the same time every month. You turn up, you do your hours and you have little responsibility. Once you get home, that's it. You got a job. And suddenly I was, what have I just done? Um, and uh, I remember that feeling even today, it's still like, Oh, crikey, what was I thinking? But you know, every you know everything I say is on the other side of fear. So if you don't do something that doesn't challenge you or doesn't make you feel fearful from time to time, then arguably maybe you're not growing. So it, it's a part of the journey, and I think it's a necessary thing that everybody probably at some point, if you set your own business up, if you probably didn't feel scared, maybe it's not big enough. Who knows? Well, what was that catalyst? Because I mean, like you said, you just got married. Now you're having basically to help take care of someone else you're going on your mm -hmm. honeymoon and you yep. basically jumped off a cliff to try to see if you can fly i mean yep. what was that catalyst that pushed you to do it at that moment it was timing it was being offered to go and work with somebody and i could set up on my own with them and i i worked out at the time um and it's funny when you talk about goal setting and, and things we're all probably familiar with that um my salary at the time was sixteen thousand pounds a year when i worked for the bank and I worked out how much business I'd have to do as a financial advisor and how much at the time you do in commission doing things. Mm. And I know a lot of countries still work on commission, but we're largely all fee-based now. But I remember thinking, well, 
let's boil this down. So my salary is that. If I've got to earn exactly the same, I know I need to do X number of client meetings and so many cases, and that would generate it. So that was my first year's goal was just if I can earn what I earned before. And the interesting thing was my accountant, who's still my accountant today at that time, did the first set of accounts. And the gross figure that I'd earned that first year was 16,003. <laughs> so I kind of did it, you know, and it was like I proved to myself. Now, was it easy? No. But if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? You know, it, it needs to be a challenge. Um, but yeah, at that time, it was I'm, I'm three pounds. So it's about five dollars over what my target was. So I knew that I was I was OK, you know, and it was it was a real moment. But yeah, it was scary, you know. But so that, that was the, the moment that you said, I made the right decision or was it yeah. before that or okay that was yeah so i knew i was on track and it was going okay um but that almost validated it by the time that the figures have been rationalized it was uh i know that that was okay now and that that was the rubber stamp that i needed to to for to certify if you like that i was right um but then from there on it's sort of grown from there so my financial planning firm now has 15 people working in it i have a healthcare company I have a conveyancing, like a legal um, property purchase business, as well as me doing coaching as well. So there's lots of things at play now. Um, it's a lot more complicated, a lot more plates to spin, but also it's a lot more fun. What do you, to, to get from where you were to where you are today, when you look back, what was like some of the big hurdles, roadblocks that you kind of had to work through? So the biggest one, I think, for me, which is why I, I turned to the coaching was, it got to um, so in 1994, and you can build a business, you know, with enough with enough puff, you can grow it. You know, the business starts growing, and you you start taking on a, a odd team member. And what I found was that I was growing almost. I think the word might be organically, but I was growing without a plan. In effect, I had no plan. I took on people that worked for me were actually friends that I knew. There was no real strategy to grow the business. It was just, well, I'll, I'll do it as I go along. And also what happened was that I, I decided to set up on my own so that I could have control of four things, which was time, money, relationship, and purposes. So when it comes to time, it was, oh, great. I can work whatever hours I want. I can have whatever holiday that I want, and it's all great. But then what happens is 10, 15 years in, the business starts owning you. So instead of you running the business, it was running me, and I found I had a job. So I used to work all the hours. So instead of having freedom of time, I had less freedom. I was working evenings. I was working weekends. And it seemed crazy that that was the, this monster that I kind of created. So that was the first thing, time. And I wanted freedom of money. You know, I could earn what I want, spend what I want. And actually, when you start taking on clients as I was, in the beginning, you can take on, and I did, and everybody probably does this, you take on anybody. Because you think, oh, because it's a client, you know, business is income and income means something to the business. So that's that's really important. But then what happens is that you end up taking more and more people on and they're not necessarily the right fit people for your business. But you do it because in financial planning, you never know they might win the lottery one day. You know, nobody ever does. Um, but you still take them on. And maybe it's because they know this person and they know that person side better. Mm -hmm. So that was the second thing. And then relationships, you know, the, the, the third freedom, which was looking at from that point of view, I wanted to deal with the type of clients that I wanted to deal with, but I didn't. As I said earlier, I was dealing with anybody 
And there's a sort of standard joke within uh, sort of financial planning practices, which the definition of a client is, can you fog a mirror? Which is basically, if you're breathing, you're a client, you know. But there was no real purpose behind it. And then the actual purpose, the problem was that I, I wanted to build something I was proud of. And what I had was was a job and it was just grinding me down. Um, yeah, the marriage failed, um, unfortunately, and, and lots of things all happened. My mental health really struggled. And the reason for a lot of that was because of the regulator. Now, the regulator everywhere around the world can dictate to you how you run your business. Now, it's got a good point for that. It's trying to keep everybody, including us and the, and the clients, safe. The problem is when they change the rules, there's nothing you can do about it. So when you build your business in a certain way, and then the regulator comes in and says, right, we're not going to let you have commission on these products anymore, your whole business model shattered, and you almost got to start again. And this kept on happening and happening and happening. So I found myself really frustrated and a bit like a personal trainer um, where, you know, if you want to get fit in the gym, if you've got somebody there that teaches you how to do it. And I realized that nobody ever taught me how to run a business. It got to where it was by accident, luck, um, but it wasn't giving me the joy that it was supposed to do in the first place. So I got myself a coach. I joined Strategic Coach uh, and also joined something called the Million Dollar Roundtable. And for anybody who's a financial planner in the US, you, we will definitely be familiar with that because they're based out of Chicago. Um, so it's being around these sort of like-minded people that have got successful businesses and also plugging into somewhere that I could get coached on how to run a business. How do you hire the right people? How do you schedule your time better? How can you work through thinking about things better to get yourself better results. And that was the sort of catalyst that started everything off for me to get back, I suppose we'd call it on the straight and narrow, which was actually get a business that I loved again and not one that was, I felt I was lost my mojo, to be honest. And I just didn't love it anymore. And and I was, here's a confession. I was the first, I was the person uh, out of all of my clients that was paying the most amount into his retirement account because that was my way of getting out. Oh, wow. And that's not a good place to be. Now I pay into my retirement account because I want to, because it's good tax planning. But it's not my, it's not my, I have to get out as soon as I can. So therefore I have to do this. Um, I don't tick off every day. You know, it felt like you were almost in prison, you know, when you got the, the prison bars with the, the four lines and you put the fifth one across. And it, it felt like every day and every week I was just marking time before I could just stop. Um, I know I had many years to go, but that was that was not a good place to be, really. Did did you self realize basically that you were hitting yourself in the wall like multiple times, or did someone did your wife talk to you and and see it from the outside? Where did that kind of come to that realization? I think it came from all of the above. Uh, to be honest, I certainly was not well mentally. Uh, my mental health struggled. I was suffering from anxiety, panic attacks, that type of thing. Um, but also friends and family around as well. I remember there was one time, and this is still this still haunts me to this day. That there was one time I went off and I took I took a half day to go and play golf with my dad. So I'm playing golf with my dad, and the mobile phone keeps ringing, and I keep answering the phone, keep answering the phone, and I'm talking on the phone a lot, and I just turned around. And I could just see my dad standing there um, waiting for me. And he was just, he didn't know I'd seen him, but his head was down and he just shook his head from side to side as if to say, what am I doing? And it was almost that sense of him looking disappointed in me because I wasn't present with him. I was there physically, but I wasn't there with him. 
I was distracted. I was thinking business is more important. And now I'm at the point now, my dad, unfortunately, he, he has mobility problems. He can't play golf. So that time's gone. You know, and it was just one of those things. And when, my, so the 2009 thing, the other catalyst was that uh, my partner and I now, we were, we were expecting our son. Uh, so he's now, he's just come out to 14 soon, but in 2009, expecting him. And I didn't want to be the, the type of father that wasn't there. That when I came home, he would ask mummy who the strange man in his house was, you know. Mm. I wanted to be there for all the sports days to see him grow up and be a good father for him. And the way I was going, it wasn't going to work out like that. So something had to change. I had to break something to get it changed. And that was and that was joining the MDRT Million Dollar Roundtable, but also joining up with Strategic Coach to help un unravel all the bad habits I created for myself. So you got coaches. Uh, and when did you come to the point in time where you go, you know what, instead of me basically taking the knowledge, I can give the knowledge to other people. Well, they approached me actually. So I've been in the strategic coach program for, well, since 2009, I still getting, I still go to be coached today. Mm -hmm. um, so I still, I still get coached. Um, they approached me about four years ago and just said, well, look, we're looking for another coach in the UK. Um, your name's cropped up several times of different people. Would you like to do it? And you know, when you first of all, you want to say no to something, but you think actually that's a really good growth opportunity. So I'll say yes. Mm. So I said yes. And you go for an, uh, an audition and they do, um, they look at your, your background in terms of uh, psychometric um, different things. So they do Colby assessments, they're a strength finder, that type of thing. And then they want to make sure that you're the right fit um, from those points of view that actually, but also has walked the talk. You're not just out there saying, oh, do this. So all the coaches with strategic coach are business owners. We've been there, we're doing it, and we're doing we're doing the grind, we're doing the hustle, so that it isn't just we'll coach you to be a coach and then you just coach people, because otherwise there's a it feels a bit disingenuous to be telling people to do things when you're not doing it yourself. Yeah. It's like a lot of businesses when you start up, um, you'd go off and, and you'd go off and see your bank for a loan and you'd have to sit in the with the manager and present your business plan. And here you are presenting it to somebody who's a bank manager who's then going to say yes or no to your business succeeding or not. Why are you working in a bank? Crazy. So, yeah, so we, we have the credibility, if you like, to, to then go off and, and do that. And it's fantastic because what I'm seeing in some of the groups that I'm coaching now is there are lots of people who are like a younger version of where I am now mm. that are struggling with the similar sort of things, you know, not enough time, struggling with money, but also, I think also being in that coaching environment, in those workshops, it's a place where, you know, I've got a team of 15 people. The buck stops with me, okay? Yeah. I'm the boss. I'm the leader. You know, everything is my fault in the company. Whether you like it or not, everything in your company is your fault. But who does the business owner go to? Where can he talk about things? And Because often you can't do that with your team. So yeah. it provides that space where you've got other people who are like you, and in different professions as well, not just financial services, there's all sorts of there. You've got surgeons there, uh, dog trainers uh, I coach, people that run real estate businesses in the Far East, all that sort of thing. But we've all got one thing in common. We all want to get better at what we do and create a business and not have a job and all help each other along the way when we're doing it as well without expecting anything in return, which is which is really quite unique. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, 
it's uh sometimes it's tough when you try to talk to your team about frustrations and so, so yeah. i totally understand that um because yeah, they look at you and think well you're the boss what are you going to do because you're the leader right you know yeah, you, you're the one that, that's guiding them but you know it's really super important i think that you as the leader has somewhere that he can go like a community um you know a peer group whatever you want to call it but you can go along and you can be yourself if you have a bad day have a bad day if you're having a good day then they will celebrate you with you so I was in a workshop, uh, I was coaching uh, last, in September, and somebody there announced, she said, oh, I've just, and we go, when there's lots of people, there's lots of interactivity where, you know, people are sharing ideas and things in the room for the day. And uh, I was going around the room saying, well, what's your biggest takeaway from today being? And everyone says, well, I, I got this from that, or I got this idea, and I'm going to read this, and I'm going to follow up on that. And that's what the room goes around and normally says. And it got towards the end, this lady just said, my biggest insight today is that I can tell you I've bought a Lamborghini. <laughs> and we all went, okay. And she said, and I'll tell you why. I can tell you in this room, but I haven't even told my family yet because I know that in this room I'll be celebrated, whereas my family will find every reason why I probably shouldn't be buying a Lamborghini. Oh, well. And I thought that was quite telling. Now, it's all, it depends on what your thing is. You know, it might not be a Lamborghini. For a lot of people, it isn't. It's not my idea, but... You know, but she felt safe that actually she was happy to celebrate and share with us in the room that that was what she was doing, and no judgment. You know, if that's what you want to do, and you got the money, go. You know, if that's what you want. Everyone's got their own thing. Yeah, <clears throat> something that I, I ask most of the coaches that that come on here is because there seems like there's more coaches out there, right? Mm -hmm. With social media, people just giving their advice, that kind of stuff. How yeah. do you know when someone's looking? that you've found the right coach? What's some questions you should ask? What are some um, feedback you should get from the coach to make sure that's the right fit for you? I think you should talk to the people that are in the coach program, not the coach. Okay. So that that would be my advice is you need to talk to, you know, look at testimonials, people that are going through the program, you know, asking those people, what did you get out of it? Because they're the ones that are nearest to you. Now I'm as a coach, I, I'm a big advocate of it. But it might come across as salesy, you know, that I'm trying to sell you the idea. Uh, it doesn't, you know, you want the right fit people in the room for to be coached and not everybody qualifies to get into the room, to be honest, to be blunt. So there is a process that you would need to go through with a conversation with people before you actually find out if you can qualify for it. And there's certain criteria because we want the right people in the room. But I would say that anybody who's looking at joining, do your research on the coaching company you're looking at. But talk to people or find people or look for people that have already been through the program because they're going to be the best people to tell you whether it worked for them or not. Um, a strategic coach have coached over 30,000 people worldwide. So a lot of pedigree there. And we have to be business owners to coach. I think there's a lot of other people out there that I noticed this particularly during lockdown when things like TikTok sprung up and you get lots of people that, oh, I'm a coach. And it's like, okay uh but are they still there i don't know um whereas the pedigree from strategic coach and the and the vetting that goes through before you get there is very stringent uh for good reason so not everybody gets in um so it's, we're trying to protect the community that we've spent so many so many years actually building uh, we want to make sure it's a good space for everybody yeah i mean i think that's a, a key takeaway the, the the first thing you said about i mean talking to people in the class or talking to people they're, they're coaching if the the coach doesn't want to provide the names of those people that might yeah. not be the right coach for you. Yeah, I know, and I, and I often have um, people that have I know that have spoken to other people in the room. And before I became a coach, I was one of those people that would have the phone call. 
So a strategic coach would come to me and say, oh, look, we've got somebody who's thinking of joining um, the program. Would you have a chat with them? Like, yeah, of course I will. And I'll tell them the good, the bad, you know, and what, what's worked for me and my story. And I'm talking about it from somebody who's sitting in the room before I became a coach. Now, now I'm a coach. I don't really get those phone calls anymore. And quite rightly, I shouldn't because it should be the people in the room that are talking about that um, rather than me, because otherwise I'm, I'm going to say it's great, aren't I? Um, whereas the people in the room can say what they want, you know, and they'll just be honest. So I would suggest you go through them. If we were talking in five years from now, where do you plan to be? What are the big aspirations? What's, what's your North Star? So my North Star, we have a, a grand business plan that we're working towards. So we've just recently, within the financial services company, uh, launched a share scheme so that everybody in the company can have an ownership of the business with a view that at some point in five to seven years, we're looking at doing a partial sale of some of that uh, at some point down the line so that we can make sure the longevity of the company can carry on. Um, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I know I look young, um, but I'm getting older. You know, we're all getting older at the same rate, but I'm sort of mid fifties now. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, there's people that clients start asking, you know, you're getting older when clients ask you about what your retirement plans are. Um, when I started in 2009, they didn't really ask that question. And now they're going, well, what, what happens when you retire? You know, so it's trying to give some longevity to the company. Um, I'll probably still have, uh, I'll still be doing coaching because I really enjoy it, but also I do conference speaking as well. So I'm asked to, to do all sorts of things. So on Sunday, I'm going to Thailand to go and present to two insurance companies over there. And I'd like to be able to do more of that because that's really good fun because you get to travel, you get to meet lots of interesting people and help share the knowledge, you know, with, with what you're doing to other people that are looking for that mentorship or looking for that guidance and how to do it. And instead of learning from their own mistakes, learn from mine, you know, because I've made a few in my time. So two, two questions after that. So when you say share share scheme, mm -hmm. I mean, the word scheme, I mean, we bring a lot of baggage, at least, I don't know if it's different in the UK or the US. Scheme, it's like taking advantage or <laughs> kind of like yeah. stealing kind of thing. It is, yeah. it is what kind of, uh, what's the meaning behind, I guess, scheme in the UK or what's the baggage behind it that you carry with us? So there's no, it's just the way I've described it. So think about it as share options. Yeah, no, I no, I understand the idea. I was just I was wondering just the the the, the verbiage of it all because uh, because when I first popped that I was like scheme that seems like but anyway okay. So what we're trying to do is be different as an employer so that yeah. when we're trying to attract talent to us, yeah, um, and also people that are looking to sell and retire and sell yeah. their book of business to us as well, we're quite unique. So that what we have is everybody from the receptionist yeah. right up to the leadership team. Yeah. can earn a share in the business. So long as they've got all the KPIs throughout the year, they will be awarded a share option at the end of each year. Yeah. Now, we also disclose the value of that share so they can see, actually, this is a different benefit here. Yeah. So that the reason we want to start this is I always wanted people within the business to feel like the business owner does. Yeah. So by actually having a share of that or an option of that share, mm -hmm. then they start looking at things like, what are we spending on the the photocopier? You know how how are we doing this? What rent do we pay here? So they they almost start getting by osmosis that feeling of well I actually own some of this and if I do this right, then down the line if there is a share a, a sale of the company, I'm going to benefit from that. Yeah. You know, so at some point they will get some capital later down the line. But it's also an interesting recruitment tool because you're looking at people then that are thinking long term. They're not just there for the salary. It's like, well, actually, this is a bit unique. So although 
we try and be competitive on the salary, there's always somebody that probably will outbid you. And there's always somebody, especially in the employment market here in the UK right now, is it's not 100%, but it's really difficult finding talent. So it's just thinking outside the box and doing something different to attract the right talent. So although we, we try and be as competitive as we can on salary, that's a really diff big differentiator for other people who are looking and comparing us with the company B, you know, actually that's a big differentiator that there's actually, you know, I'm going to earn money in the long run here, which would yeah. be worth an awful lot more than a little short-term gain in a slightly higher salary. And then the, so it the sounds like a scheme, but it's not, it's not designed to, it's not. Really no, no, no. Like, I, I understand what you mean. I'm just for, for clarification purposes, um, yeah. because I, I could, I could, if I was listening to this podcast and I heard that word, I, my, my ears would perk up a little bit. And so I was like, you know what? I, I got I to gotta just go throw it out there and just get the question. Yeah, right. it's, not, it's nothing like MLM or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, um, the, the, the second question back off of you're going to be teaching in uh, Thailand or speaking in Thailand. Yeah. With being that um, I'm guessing they're basically local financial advisors, right? That you're yeah. going to be speaking to. So do you talk more about, the, I guess, the idea of financial advising because I'm guessing you can't really talk in the specifics of it because it could be different in the UK relative to uh, yeah. Thailand. Yeah, it is. So the actual, well, the, the, the title of the presentation, they don't know what it is yet, but I'll tell you what it is as a little exclusive, is 29 ideas from 29 years. Okay. So it's all things, it, it's not about sales and selling more. It's about all the things that you should do in business because a lot of the people, the audience, are fairly novice level. Okay. So I'm trying to bring the ideas of everything that you do within a company that actually just sets you apart. And it, one of the ideas, just give you one of them is like, if you've got an appointment in your diary to go and see a client, turn up on time. Mm. Why is it so important to turn up on time? Well, here's why it's important you turn up on time. What if you do if you're running late? You ring them and you ask, is that okay? So that, you know, and under promising, over delivering. So telling them we're going to ring them back by the end of the day and actually ring them back before lunchtime. And they'll think that's great. But if you say you'll ring them back soon and then you don't ring them for half an hour, in that client's eye, you're thinking, well, has he forgotten me? But if you set the parameters up. So it's all these sort of things that I've learned, these 29 ideas. And actually the 29th idea is always give them more than they expect. So there's yeah. actually going to be 35. But yeah. they don't know that yet. So the 29th one is always give the clients more than what they expect they're going to get. Um, the, the time thing aspect you're talking about, that's that was a, I, I've had a lot of conversation with that because I, I look at it, and this is something that actually worked through, was the idea that if someone's late and they don't basically um, say sorry or anything like that, yeah. they feel that their time is more valuable than your time. That's always been kind of like a thing. Yep. And, and I've talked to some people where they're like, no, that's not the case. You're overthinking it. And nope. so it's interesting. No, you're not overthinking it. No, yeah. no. And you you know what it's like when you've got somebody coming around to you to maybe a trade coming around to see you or something like that, and they're late. And you're like, straight away, you're thinking, if you're late to that, what what else are you missing? What other corners are you cutting in your business? Yeah. You know, And it is respectful. And if you are ever late, I always ring up and say, look, I'm running a bit late. I've got stuck in traffic. I'll be with you by quarter past the hour. And even if I'm a minute late, I'll always ring to make sure, is that okay? And it doesn't happen often. Mm. Or I'll be there by quarter past and you turn up still at 10 past. They go, oh, we did better than you said. Yeah. yeah. And I never say sorry for being late either. Mm. It's thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience. Okay, that's a good one. That's, yeah. uh, I was talking to someone about that the other day because they were adamant. You never say sorry. 
but that's a good one thank you for your patience yeah i like that because then you're complimenting them again aren't you so thank you for your patience and it's like oh that makes them feel good so instead of going in you know you know with your head down oh sorry you know that sort of thing you're on the back foot and the negative straight away so thank them for their patience definitely oh uh, yeah that's a great one right there well thank you so much david for for being here today um i think there's a lot of nuggets to, to take away everyone listening uh, go in the show notes, go find David. Even if you're listening I mean, in the U.S., I mean, there's other coaches um, throughout the U.S., uh, but go in the show notes, go find David. Maybe he might be coming to the U.S. and doing some speaking. So follow yeah. him. Um, what's the best way, David, for people to follow you and get more information? So if they if they just Google my name, but actually I've got a landing page that's been set up. If, if you go on to davidbpodcast.com, that's davidbpodcast.com. Uh, you can book a discovery call with Strategic Coach there if you wanted to have a chat with them. But there's also there's a free toolkit. So people can get an idea as to do some thinking if they wanted to without actually talking to anybody, just to see the sort of quality of the, the, the output that comes from Strategic Coach. That's all there, and that's free. So that anybody who's listening to your podcast, if you go on there, davidbpodcast.com, there's a load of free resources that they can play with and have a look at there. Any last words of wisdom that you want to impart on our listeners? I would say, I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning, actually. You know, if you're not feeling scared from time to time in building your business, it's probably not doing something right enough for you. So you get the best things in life are on the other side of fear. So you need to feel a bit nervous, but a bit excited at the same time. And that's the rocket fuel to grow your business. Thank you so much, David. Again, hopefully everyone got some great nuggets. Go in those show notes. Go find David. His landing page should be in there. And please subscribe to The Road to Growth. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.